This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 84. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Ram Ramayasha. And today we've got a ton of news to talk about. We have a ton to talk about in general. We got two new jumpstarts to talk about, or they're not Shonen Jump series, so should we call them Manga Plus Starts? I don't know. We'll figure that out eventually. But before we get to those, we need to talk about old new news that's come out. And there's a ton of it. Seven Seas crashed down with another tidal wave of licensing announcements. And there's a whole other bunch of cool stuff that we have to talk about today. But to start off with, though, we have to talk about some somber pieces of news. Some very sad pieces of news. And this really hurts me in particular as fans of both of these creators. And we lost two, two really important, influential mangaka, uh, veterans of the industry and incredibly influential in the same week, in mere days. And it's just heartbreaking. And we first we lost Monkey Punch, the creator of Lupin the Third. The classic franchise that has lasted over 50 years, uh, beloved by generations. Uh, he died on April 11th at 81 years old due to pneumonia. And it's just heartbreaking to see him pass away. But we didn't just lose him. We lost Lone Wolf and Cub creator Kazuo Koike, the writer of not just Lone Wolf and Cup, but several uh, classic manga series like Samurai Executioner, Crying Freeman, Lady Snowblood, Mad Bull 34. Uh, he has passed away from Pneumonia as well on Wednesday uh, the 17th, and he died at 82 years old. And it's insane that both Koike and Monkey Punch passed because uh, they they joked on Twitter that uh you know he and Monkey Punch were rivals forty years ago in Weekly Manga Action where both Lupin the Third and Lone Wolf the Cub were originally published and it is just truly tragic to lose these veterans these incredibly influential figures on manga, creating classics that have defined manga and inspired so many creators. Kazueo Koike in particular, he has started a manga academy of which so many incredible talents sprung out of and learned about the craft of manga from, including you know, my favorite mangaka, Rumiko Takahashi, but so many others, like Hideyuki Hikuchi, the writer of Vampire Hunter D, Tetsu Ohara, the artist of Fist of the North Star, the artist of Baki the Grappler, Keisuke Iragaki. So many creators were directly taught and inspired by Koike. And with Monkey Punch 2, Kazuhiko Kato, his real name, both of them were just so influential, and the works they made uh, remain resonant and are revered, for rightfully so, for being classics. And both of those were my favorite series, you know, when I was in my teens and I was reading them for the first time, and I admired the craft of their artwork and their storytelling. And, you know, it, it definitely is just 
you never, you know, you don't think you'd lose two of the most influential mangaka uh, in the same week, but we have, and I think that it's really saddening. But I think both creators have left behind a legacy that remains alive and strong and vibrant. I think that the franchises they've created in Lupin the Third and Lone Wolf and Cub are immortal. They will live on forever, you know, long past their creators, and they will serve as like a testament to their artistic creativity, to their work and their achievements. And I think that is something that can be celebrated. But I think that I am with all fans of both these creators around the world in mourning their loss and, you know, grieving that they have uh, left, but also very thankful for the work they've left behind, the memories, the stories they've shared with us. And, you know, I, I pay tribute to them and... Uh, they will be dearly missed, but their their work and their legacy, I don't think that'll ever be forget forgotten. And, I mean, even outside of just, you know, uh, manga and anime, like, these were people who, you know, created franchises that were so, like, widespread and influential that, like, I know they've inspired a lot of, like, you know, a lot of, like, you know, a lot of a lot of Western influences as well, like... You know, I've I, I I clearly remember seeing like references to Wolf, Lone Wolf and Cub and like s- stuff like Samurai Jack and everything. And I know that uh, you know Quentin Tarantino very inspired by films based on Koike's works, mm-hmm. like Lone Wolf and Cub and Lady Snowblood. And I know there are a lot of uh, film directors out there who like you know as much as I don't think Monkey Punch was like directly involved with like the Castle of Cagliostro. But, like, you know, I know there are film directors out there who really enjoy that uh, that car chase scene from that movie in particular. Like, th- there there are certain set pieces from this, from uh, both of these franchises that these guys have created that, like, are going to last in, you know, creative mediums in general for, for a really long time to come. And I think that's mm-hmm. really invaluable. I agree. And, again, their work is immortal, and that stands a testament to their creative genius. And, uh, you know, I think their legacy will live on. Mm-hmm. So definitely rest in peace, both Monkey Punch and Kazuo Koike. Huh. But, uh, yep, so uh, I guess we have the rest of the news to cover here. I'm not very good at transitioning out of these sadder stories, so you'll have to forgive me. But you know, we we have a lot of we, we have a lot of different really cool things to look forward to, thankfully, such as uh you know the the, the reigning popularity of you know My Hero Academia as it basically continues to conquer the book scan list. We're gonna be going over the uh, the, uh, the the book scan list, the specifically the top twenty adult graphic novels list for uh, for March, and uh, just to make it easy here, so. Uh, at number two, we have uh, volume 18 of My Hero Academia ranked along with volume one and number four, volume 17 at number six, uh, volume two and number nine, volume three at number 11, volume 16 and number 12, uh, volume four at number 15, and volume 15 at number 17. So what is that? That's uh, one, two, three, 
four, five, six, seven. That's about eight volumes. I might have miscounted there. That's about at least half, if not like over half of the manga on this list. Again, mm-hmm. again, not really surprising at this point for My Hero Academia. Not really much else to be said there. As for the other manga on the list, we have the deluxe edition of Berserk Volume 1 at number 10, as well as uh, Marie Kondo's The Life-Changing Manga of Tidying Up at number 13. Uh, we have uh, Boruto Volume 5 at number 14. And, oh yeah, I missed this. Uh, My Hero Academia Vigilantes at number 16. So I'm sorry, that's nine volumes of My Hero Academia, technically, there. Mm-hmm. Specifically, Volume 4, Vigilantes, in number 16. Yes. Uh, and then we have Volume 1 of the original Tokyo Ghoul, number 20. So, yeah, um, not not much to say on uh, what's included on this list. A lot of the usual subjects, I would think, are suspects. That's how that phrase goes. Um, it's nice to see the deluxe edition of Berserk on here. I mean, I guess there's really no enough because, you know, again, Berserk is basically the most popular and most well-selling manga that Dark Horse has. So, you know, there's that. I'm just glad I'm just glad to see that edition doing well. There's obviously a demand for it. But uh, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts you want to contribute here before we move on. My Hero Academia continues to be dominant and we're seeing several other very popular titles continue to make good showings and Mari Kondo's resurgence of popularity continues to stay strong mm-hmm. as evidenced by her manga still being in the top 20 for this month. But now we're going to move on to serialization news and even though I'm mourning Koike Monkey Pen still, I have to Pick up the enthusiasm here because Rumiko Takahashi is launching her new series in May on the 23rd issue of Shonen Sunday on May 8th. Her new series is going to be called Mao. It's going to be a story set in a land where two worlds intersect. And it'll be about a strange romance between a girl, boy and girl who meet by fate. So I'm very much looking forward to her next work. It seems like she is moving back towards an action adventure in the same vein as Inuyasha. And I'm going to be very interested in seeing like how she approaches a action adventure shonen epic with all the lessons she learned from doing Inuyasha and then what this story more specifically will be about because the log line here is a little vague but I think that the character design looks interesting I think it's going to be rooted in the same kind of supernatural Japanese folklore that Takahashi loves and is really Mm -hmm. interested in and I am really really looking forward to this so, Skullface bookseller Honda-san, by the time you're listening to this, has already ended on March 28th with its fourth and final volume. We have talked previously on the show before about how uh, Yen Press has now licensed that title. So, you know, it's it's kind of old news at this point. But, you know, if you haven't already checked out Skullface bookseller Honda-san, you know, the anime is available on Crunchyroll. I've watched a few episodes of it back when it aired a couple seasons ago, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really, I thought it was really fun and funny. Personally, I really enjoyed it. How, how can you not enjoy a series about a skeleton who works in a bookstore? I ask you. 
And so, yeah, you know, if you're looking for something, you know, fun, light, and, you know, more importantly, short in terms of length, this might be the series for you. And I, from what I hear, it has hilarious insights on both the uh, retail industry and fandom, specifically of the otaku variety. So I am very interested in reading the series and uh, enjoying all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, moving on from that, we also have an update on uh, on One Punch Man, uh, specifically the original webcomic from, from author One, in that uh, One has recently posted the 110th chapter of his One Punch Man webcomic, and uh, this is pretty big news because this is his first update in two years uh, since he has released the 109th chapter back in January 2017. Uh, so if you're following the One Punch Man webcomic, uh, new chapter's up. Personally, I'm kind of surprised with how big One Punch Man is at the moment that, like, I don't know, I'm kind of surprised there's there hasn't been any, like, incentive to try to translate uh, the original webcomic into English, like, officially, at least. That kind of baffles me a little bit that it hasn't been done yet. You'd think that they jump on it, but I guess they assume that having Murata's version out there is good enough. Especially since it is, like, the popular version of it internationally. I mean, that's also true, but I don't know. I'm I'm hoping maybe now that, like, you know, Dark Horse is releasing the actual Mob Psycho 100 manga that maybe there'll be more of a demand for, for one's art. I don't know, maybe. Yeah, if... Mob Psycho is a success for Dark Horse. Hopefully that'll convince publishers to take a look at One Punch Man and bring over the original webcomic as well. Mm-hmm. But until then, I'm glad that one has come back because now Murata has more material to draw from. Mm-hmm. But speaking of acclaimed series returning, Tokyo Tarareppa Girls by Kiguyu Kashimura is getting a season two manga this month. It's gonna debut in... Kodansha Kisses Magazine's June issue on April 25th is going to follow a new cast of characters, uh, some part-time workers at the library. I don't know what kind of library, just probably the local library. So, hey, that's cool. I like the idea of Tokyo Tarareva Girls being like a series of, I guess, JoJo-like parts, where each part will focus on a different protagonist in a different setting, and it'll be a different kind of series, but always focused on the trials and tribulations of young women trying to find their place in the world. I think that's cool, and I like Tokyo Tarabu Girls a lot, I like Angika Gashimura a lot, I like more of her manga, and reading all of them, and I'm excited for her newest manga, which is a short manga, but... I'm sure all the more sweet, called Bara to Tulip, which is debuting in Monthly Spirits Magazine's June issue on April 27th. It's going to be on the cover of the issue. It's going to have a color page. It's going to be a short serialization, but it's going to be kind of a tie-in to a bigger project for which Higashimura is credited for being the creator of the original work. There's a live-action film adaptation that's going to open in Japan in May. So this new manga is kind of like a tie-in to that, a little bit of a promotion for that. They don't know much about the premise. The tagline reads, I want to find it, I want to recover it, the real me. You got two men holding flowers in this preview image. Could this be a... Uh, manga about two gay men that'd be interesting but we will see Mm -hmm. 
And as for our last piece of serialization news, in the May issue of Shogaku Khan's big comic original, Zokan, that issue revealed that Taiyo Matsumoto will be launching a new manga called Tokyo Higoro, uh, roughly translated to Tokyo Every Day, in the magazine's July issue on June 12th. And uh, the magazine describes the series as, quote-unquote, a requiem for the anguished, lost, and wandering in life over 50. And it seems, apparently, that the um, the manga is centered around this character named uh, Shio Saba, who, you know, with uh, Japan entering a new era, you know, this former manga editor for a major publisher, you know, after going into ret- early retirement, he sort of finds himself wandering about the world of manga and what it means to him. Is it a work of art? Is it a form of expression? Friendship? What is manga? So, you know, this sounds really interesting. Um, Sort of a, uh, I don't know if you would call it, like, existential or whatnot. I guess it kind of is. It sounds like an interesting character study. Like, I would definitely read mm-hmm. this. Most definitely. Taiyo Matsumoto is an acclaimed creator of many classic series like Sunny and Ping Pong, and I'm looking forward to the next work for sure. Hopefully this will be brought over. Yes, please, Viz, bring this over. I would definitely read this. Mm-hmm. But speaking of things that I've waited a long time to see brought over... We're moving on to licensing news now, and we're starting off with a big one. J Novel Club has licensed the Full Metal Paddock Light Novel Series by Shoji Goto. Previously, Tokyo Pop had the license for this. They published four volumes back in the day, but they did not publish the entire series, the entire 12-volume series. But J Novel Club, not only are they going to be retranslated from scratch, but they are going to be retranslated and licensed in all 12 volumes of the main novel series. And if they're successful enough, they'll release the sequel and spin-off series. Now, Full Metal Panic is, of course, the very popular series about this soldier who is sent to guard this high school girl because she holds a few secrets that some enemy agents want to uh, kidnap her and exploit. So that is a very popular series. It had a lot of anime adaptations back in the early 2000s. It recently got a new anime adaptation last year, which unfortunately, I guess the, the fires have faded a little bit. Not a whole lot of people talked about it, but I heard from the people who watched it that was really good and i'm a big fan of the series and i'm glad that the novels are coming over i know that i there's a few full metal panic fans out there who are nonetheless uh, really excited for this happening shout out to foggle and dr insatsuken on the anime revelation forums i know you guys have uh, kept the flame of fmp fandom burning for a long time and now you have finally been rewarded my friends but yeah uh, i'm excited for this and I can't wait to read new translations of Full Metal Panic and read it from its entirety from beginning to end, the Light Novel series, for the first time, really. Yeah, this is a this is a big get. Mm-hmm. But now moving on to the manga side of things, publisher Ego Manga announced that it's gonna be publishing Enka Sukihara's first squad, The Moment of Truth, this fall. It is also about soldiers. It's set in World War II on the Eastern Front about a Soviet teenager who possesses supernatural abilities to commune with the dead, and they've been recruited by the Red Army to fight the invading German army and tasked to journey into the realm of the dead to recruit fallen comrades to form a squad to depose an evil Baron who is raised from the dead by Nazis as a zombie and as a cult army of 12th century crusaders. It's a real Helsing situation, it seems. But yeah, 
That sounds like a fun little story. It had an anime back in 2009, but this is the first time the manga is coming over here. The original story is actually by Russian artist Misha Spitz and Alyosha Akimov. So, really cool to see that it's got licensed, and uh, check it out if it interests you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be interesting to check out. But, uh, yeah, we have a few other manga licenses to talk about via Yen Press. They've licensed some series lately, as well as some novels, as well as a Your Name official guidebook, obviously for the Makoto Shinkai film of the same name. And uh, the rest of these titles will be releasing in October of this year. First off, we have The Witch's Printing Office by Mon Chin Chi and uh, Yasuhiro Miyama, in which it follows the completely average girl who is on her way back from Japan's biggest amateur comics and bookselling event, Comic Market, until she got whisked off to a parallel fantasy world. And to get back home, uh, she's going to have to look for a transportation magic at the magic tome selling event, Magic Market. So this sounds like an interesting sort of isekai series. Yeah, it's the night of short walking girl transformed into an isekai series basically very interesting mm. uh next up we have overlord undead king o from a bunch of different authors so basically you know basically this is a collection of uh, a four panel comedy gag manga things so mm. you know if you're into overlord uh you'll probably want to check this out as well as Kimono Friends a la carte, which again is also another very popular thing at the moment. Kimono Friends being the little mobile game anime that could. The first anime for it was extremely popular, but I've I've unfortunately heard very middling things about this sequel series that's is is it out or is it coming out? I haven't been keeping up with it. Oh, they came out last season and it was a disappointment to fans because, you know, they fired the director and the creative staff behind the original. You know, the people who were responsible for making it special. They got rid of the human girl main character, and apparently they wrote her off in a very dark way that was just kind of brushed off. Wow. And uh, it just left everyone with a bad taste in their mouth. That's really unfortunate. But, you know, if you're still looking for more Kimono Friends, this is basically a uh, an anthology collection of uh, different stories. So, you know, again, if you're into Kimono Friends, there you go. And now we're going to get to the couple of novels that Young Press has licensed. The first one being A Mysterious Job Called Oda Nobunaga, with the story being written by Kisetsu Morita, with art done by Kaito Shibano. And Kisetsu Morita apparently is the author of uh, I've Been Killing Slimes for 300 Years and Maxed Out My Level. And in this series, apparently... It takes place in a world where, on the day that they reach adulthood, everyone visits the temple to receive their life's calling. Many will become warriors or magic users, but when Arzrod, that's a name, the frail younger brother of a minor feudal lord, goes in for his career, he comes out with Oda Nobunaga? Not only has no one ever heard of the job, but not a single person can figure out what it's even supposed to mean. And when this young man inherits the experience, tactics, and prowess in War of the Great Sengoku Strategist Nobunaga, though, his destiny will change. So, this is interesting to me because there's a lot of Japanese media tied to a very real Japanese feudal lord, Oda Nobunaga. Like, just a, a shit ton of it, really. And I guess this is, uh... This is one of them. Apparently now, Oda Nobunaga is now a job you can have, which I I, I don't know, I just find really uh, humorous. I mean, basically, it seems to just be like a position, a placeholder for an idea, rather than an actual person. 
Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't know. For some reason, I feel like if it hasn't already been like announced for an anime, I feel like this will get an anime. I don't just some something something about this just screams yes. I'm getting an anime adaptation. Yeah, Japan loves no Oda Nobunaga for sure. <laughs> Uh, next up, we have suppose a kid from the last dungeon boonies moved to a sh- moved to a starter town with a story written by Toshio Sato and art by Nao Watanuki, in which you know we follow a novice adventurer whose dream is to discover true strength, quote unquote, in the capital he's always admired, despite growing up with neighbors who always considered him weak. The story starts with him departing his hometown, which just so happens to be located right next to one of the most dangerous dungeons in the world? Lloyd, his name, may think of himself as powerless, but when he goes to the city that serves as a starter town for adventurers, the difference between him and everyone else couldn't be starker. So this definitely sounds like a not really fish out of water story. I guess that's not really what you would call it, but uh, that sounds interesting, I guess. Not much else to say there. Next up, we have World's Strongest Rear Guard, Labyrinth Country and Dungeon Seekers, uh, with story written by Toa and art from Huka Kazabana, in which, after living life as a corporate lapdog, our main character is reborn in a fantasy world. Shocker. Strangely, the class he's been assigned is the very ambiguously titled Rear Guard. It seems weird, but our main character soon figures out, though it isn't flashy, he's gained the ability to do just about everything in battle, from assisting, attacking, and defending to healing. As he begins his new life, he quickly gathers uh, curious companions, his senior quote-unquote supervisor, who is younger than him, a mysterious demi-human mercenary girl, and a gorgeous high-level swordsman. With this bevy of interesting ladies in his party, uh, his journey as the greatest supporter who's ever lived begins. So, not much I can add there. It's uh, another isekai thing. Mm-hmm. And we have our last title here, The Greatest Mao is Reborn to Get Friends. A story written by Miyojin Kato with art from Sao Mizuno. And basically, the long and short of this synopsis is the demon lord is tired of being the demon lord and and he just wants to live the life as a as an average commoner and he wants to he wants to make friends but he has trouble fitting in like basically like while i was reading the synopsis of this like i immediately thought of demon poro's prince diaries except he's not an otaku <laughs> basically but yeah that's that's about it from uh from uh, yen press that's about everything there i can't really say there's much of anything that like really grabs me i guess i guess uh, the oda nobunaga uh, light novel series sounds interesting in that it's just sounds kind of bizarre to me yeah i mean this is all isekai stuff <laughs> so i mean you have to really be into isekai to really get into this i think of the premises witch's printing office sounded the most appealing to me yeah i, I would say but so but otherwise especially with the back half of these licenses my interest was waning successfully. <laughs> like, like, like it just <laughs> got less interesting as I as I went down every title. Like, I could kind of feel that too, honestly. Pretty much. <laughs> like, it's it's so weird how it like it starts off with your job is a dead guy to, oh, I'm trying to fit in. I'm a demon lord. Where have you seen this before? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, check this season of anime. I'm sure there's one of those shows out there already. Probably, yeah. But, but you know, uh, if you're into any of these titles, like I said earlier, all of these will be out in October. 
But there is one more Yen Press license that you didn't talk about. And this is a big one, and it is related to a classic series because Fruits Basket in celebration of the new anime that's coming out is going to have a three-chapter mini-series about the Mabudachi trio of Hachire, Shiguri, and Ayami, who are known as the Three Musketeers in English. And these three chapters are going to come out in the uh, 10th and 11th issues of uh, Hakusenjutana to Yume, and the second chapter will be on the 13th issue coming out on June 5th, while the third chapter will come out on the 15th issue on July 5th. And, luckily for us, Yen Press has licensed this miniseries for digital simul-publishing, and the first chapter will debut on April 23rd. So, Fruits Basket fans, if you want to read this miniseries, we're in luck because it will be simul-published and we will be able to experience them. Don't be forewarned, newbies to Fruits Basket. Apparently, this series is not a prequel, but it is set within the events of the final chapter of the manga. So, I think an understanding and a knowledge of the entire story should be had before you delve in to this miniseries, lest you be spoiled. So, definitely check that out if you're a Fruits Basket fan, caught up on the manga, and I am very curious to see what stories will be told with these three. Mm-hmm. But yeah, now, now that I've covered all of the Yen Press stuff, uh, Lum, I think it's your turn to, uh, to talk about a huge group of licenses. Yes, the Seven Seas Tidal Wave has come crashing down on us once again. That we will stay afloat. They will not drown us. They will not defeat us. We will fight our ways through the waves back up to the surface and scream out to the world their new licenses. The first of which is a Yuri manga called Scarlet by Chiri Yuino that is gonna come out on February 11th, 2020 about a girl who has become a vampire after ingesting an illegal drug but makes a pact with a beautiful but wolfish Red Riding Hood. And this Red Riding Hood, named Iris Red Hood, offers herself up to help the girl slake her bug lust. But the services come with a price. And now both are on the hunt for the very drug that changed the girl. So, sounds like a very interesting premise with a lot of danger tied to the sexuality. I like the idea of Red Riding Hood being an actual wolf girl. That's kind of a fun spin on things. And it's a romance between a vampire and a werewolf. What could go wrong there? That sounds awesome. So very much looking forward to that. But I'm also looking forward to this next little set of licenses here. Particularly the fact that we're getting a Dirty Pear manga by Haruka Takachiho and Hisao Tamaki. This manga adapts the story of 
the first volume of Haruka Takachio's Dirty Pail Novel series, and it ran in Tokuma Shoten's Comic Guru magazine from 2010 and ended in 2011. There's a combined two books for the series, but Seven Seas is recently this as a two-in-one omnibus on December 17th, 2019. And Dirty Pair is, of course, about Kay and Yuri, known as the lovely angels, who are agents of the World's Welfare and Works Association, but in their pursuit of space-wide justice, they cause space-wide disaster. So these chaotic and sexy agents have charmed audiences since 1980, but for the first time ever, a manga adaptation of their work, of their adventures, are going to be available in English. And that's going to be really cool to read. But we've got some other interesting stories from Seven Seas, including My Room is a Dungeon Rest Shop by Tokogu Hudo and Takoyaki Yoshi. Which is about a deluxe rental property that's really cheap because it connects to a perilous dungeon in another world. And far from being dissuaded, a guy called Toguru jumps to the chance to sign the lease and hopes to go from high school dropout to big town adventurer. And he encounters a stranded knight who is a gorgeous young woman named Rhea. He rescues her and takes her back to Earth, where she promptly mistakes him for a great stage. And seeing normal things like running water for evidence of his powerful magic, Toru may dream of heroism, but first he has to figure out how to share an apartment with a cute girl from another world. So it's kind of like a reverse Isekai. They go into the other world, only to bring a character from that world back out to the real one. Oh, wow. But... In terms of fans of other world stories, we've got more of those coming from Seven Seas. They've also licensed Link and Savant's fantasy spin-off manga World's End Harem Fantasia, which is a spin-off to the World's End Harem series. It's an all-new tale set in a world of swords and sorcery about a guy called Ark, who is the heir to the throne of Nagara, and his hero of beautiful women, which may be the only thing standing against the end of everything, but the world has been corroded by darkness and debauchery, but the serious and sensual dark elf Lottie offers Ark the power he has long yearned for to change his fate. So it's taking the premise of World's in here, but setting it in a fantasy setting, which is kind of interesting. But we've also got Kazutaka and Kai Tomohiro's Destiny Lovers, which is another series in kind of a sexual vein. I, you know, it's worth mentioning these are all ghost ship titles, so that comes with the territory. But Destiny Lovers is about a guy who promises love to his childhood friend, but is pledged to save his first sexual experience for her takes a shocking turn when he's abducted and thrown to a secret prison run by beautiful and terrifying women who are in fetish gear, and his kidnappers seem to have a higher purpose, but they're definitely after one thing, and which is his rigidity, and they're willing to employ every kink at their disposal. So who are these women, and why are they trying to break Kosuke's promise to Sayaka? This is a dark, erotic trailer about fear and desire, and one man who's about to face a sexual gauntlet like no other. And, rounded off these ghost ship licenses, we've also got Saki, the Succubus Hungers Tonight, 
which is by Miko Kuni Homare and Studio Hip Cat. And this series is about a beautiful young woman named Saki who is a little naive and she wanders the streets, but you know, uh, beware, she's a succubus who tries with the lust of men, but she's just not very good at it. And then she finds herself with an opportunity to move into a 30-something man who's never slept with a woman before. And so she takes it, and just like she'll take him, uh, and eventually. But this sweet and sexy comedy is about a novice sex demon and a virgin partner, and it's always going to leave you satisfied and always hungry for more. And the first one is going to come out on January 28, 20... 20. And just to mention it, the first one of Destiny Lovers is coming out on December 3rd, 2019. And the first one of Worlds in Harem is coming out on September 24th, 2019. But that's not all Seven Seas has announced. More? Because, oh, there is plenty more. They had announcements every day of this week. Of the past week, rather. But yes, because. In good timing with the release of the anime adaptation of How Much Heavy Dumbbells Can You Lift, they've licensed Yabako Sandrovic and Mom's bodybuilding comedy manga about a teenage girl who loves to eat, but when she notices her waistline expanding, she decides to check out the local gym, and when she uh, notices that the school pouncing president is at this gym, she uh, kind of teams up with her to take weight training, though she resists at first until she meets a pretty boy trainer named Makio, and now she's willing to do whatever it takes to bulk up. And the first one of this is going to come out on November 19th of this year. But we've also got the paranormal light novel series SCP Foundation, Iris of the Mirror World, which is coming out... On January 28, 2020, and this is about a young man who is encountering a strange phenomenon because a photo of a girl appears inside any book he opens, and one of the books in a library causes him to be whisked away by the SCP Foundation, which is a secret organization dedicated to containing anomalous entities and phenomena. And there he learns that the girl in the photo's name is Iris, and that he's going to have to work alongside her to get the boat out. And so this is a light novel adaptation of an SCP tale, and this parallel story is uh, going to please fans of the original online story, which apparently already has a lot of spin-offs and various languages and formats. But we've also got another series here called My Father is a Unicorn by Monaco Suzuki, which is coming out on December 17th in a single volume and a large trim size. And this is about a kid, is he in high school, his mother remarries, and his uh, new stepdad seems like a nice enough guy, but he also happens to be a unicorn. And so sometimes in the form of a talking host, and sometimes in the form of a beautiful man, Masaru is determined to run the household while his wife is away and win his new stepson over. And so, for better or worse, Issei is stuck teasing this unicorn man how to be a good dad in this idiosyncratic comedy about the magic of family. So a very eclectic selection of titles there. <laughs> and then finally, our last volume to talk about, our last license, is Cosmo Familia by 
Hano Kage, which will be released in digital and in print on March 24, 2020, about a character whose family disappeared six years ago, but then cute and destructive creatures called Cosmos Invader World, and she holds down the fort, fighting these wild alien creatures while protecting the few humans who have survived in hopes that someday her family will return and she refuses to give up on them even though people believe that her mother is the one who caused the invasion in the first place. And this artist is also very well known for doing previous uh, Puella Maji Madoka Magica manga and spin-offs and you definitely can see that in the character design of who I am assuming is Alice the main character of this series mm -hmm. in the cover image here. So very curious to see uh, the sensibilities of this series as well. But yes, that's quite a large and eclectic group of licenses from Seven Seas there. Once again, the tidal wave rose high, but we rode the wave all the way to the shore, and we're still standing. We're ready to brave the waters again. <laughs> uh, as much as I usually look forward to you know the the various tidal waves of different seven seas titles and i think it's i, I think it's a, a good sign of the of the industry that they're licensing so much you know every once in a while i i can't say that a lot of these really like interest me in particular not even my father is a unicorn well, i said a lot of these but if you were you were to let me finish i was gonna say that yes my <laughs> father is a unicorn is probably the one i'm looking forward to the most <laughs> <laughs> well, I am looking forward to the Dirty Pear manga. I enjoy everything I've seen of that series. Mm. My Father's Unicorn, again, great premise, so definitely looking forward to that one. Scarlet Yuri, I like the idea of a Yuri manga about a vampire and a werewolf. That is a pretty great idea. And finally, Cosmo Familia, I like Madoka Magica, and I haven't delved too deeply into all the various manga spin-offs, but I do like the artist of the manga style, so I think I am going to check that out just on the strength of the artwork alone. Mm, I will give it to Dirty Pair. That, the Dirty Pair is a franchise I haven't really dipped my toes in at all yet, but it's, some, it's something mm. I would like to maybe check out at some point. So, I mean, I've, I've always kind of wanted to check out the, the 80s anime or whatever. But, yeah, maybe maybe I'll check out the manga version, at least, or something. Mm -hmm. Oh, but, yeah, that's that's about it for uh, 7C stuff. And uh, I'm just going to help us uh, round off whatever licensing news we have left here. Uh, starting off with some some new stuff coming to Comixology. It was reported by The Hollywood Reporter, of all things, at first, that apparently Initial D is going to be coming to Comixology. Uh, volumes 1 through 38 have been released at this point, I think. With the, I think it's, uh, let's see here, with volumes 39 to 48 debuting later this year. And so, apparently, the first 38 volumes of Initial D are all available for purchase through Comixology and Kindle, as well as, uh, you know, if you, ha if you have, like, a, a subscription to Comixology Unlimited, you could read all 38 volumes of uh, Initial D for basically no additional costs, which I think is uh, pretty cool. Initial D, for those who don't know, was um, originally published by Tokyo Pop back in the day. Again, another one of those, another one of the series that they have released that I don't think, yeah, they've never really like released all of. Same with like 
Beck, which also got the same treatment uh, recently. And if you don't know what Initial D is about, it's from from what I know of it, it's basically a racing manga. It's had its share of anime and anime movies and whatnot. And I know it's I don't I don't know a lot of people who like read this manga in particular. Um, I I don't know like I don't really know like what the consensus is on it. Like I've heard I've heard like mostly middling things. Like I don't know anybody who like loves Initial D. But I don't know anyone who, like, hates it or anything. Uh, I don't know. Lum, have you ever read Initial D? I've not read the manga, but I did watch the remake movie trilogy that basically retold the story of the first season of the anime in street theatrical films, and that was released into theaters last year, and I quite enjoyed those films. I found them to be fun rides, and I thought that they were just enjoyable just purely on the revel of crazy stunts that were happening during these races, and just the sheer kind of adrenaline of watching these kind of races between these kind of crazy characters, and, you know, trying to express their macho and bravado by outracing one or the other. You know, it is fun just on that level, and I've heard from people who are fans of the series that they enjoy it just on the level that it is good, goofy fun, that isn't meant to be taken too seriously, but has some cool things going on in it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's nice to see Comixology continue to pick up, basically uh, rescue these licenses from Tokyo Pop. I'm still hoping that like maybe one day we'll get another release of like GTO or something. I doubt whoever picks that up would like retranslate that or whatever, but it still would be nice to see other like that along with a few other Tokyo Pop things uh, back on the market. I think uh, I think that would be pretty cool. So mm-hmm. can't wait to see what else Comixology does with those. But yeah, those are available if you want to go check those out. And uh, now we're going to actually move on to some Jane Novel Club stuff, which uh, at the time of this recording, they're actually at uh, Sakura Con going on uh, this weekend here. Or I, guess, I should say this week. And so they have tweeted about some manga announcements. And so I'm just going to go over them here one by one. And it looks like their first announcement is going to be a manga adaptation of the Faraway Paladin. Uh, the manga in particular is by uh, Mutsumi Okubashi. I guess I should also say I'm literally right now I'm I'm reading uh, a bunch of tweets from J Novel Club that they don't have threaded, so that makes it a, a little difficult for me to kind of scroll and parse through here. But I I don't think there are any uh, release dates for a lot of these for a lot of these titles. No, these are just announcements for now. Yeah. So there's not a lot of info on a lot of these, but just to kind of continue, uh, next up we have The Unwanted Undead Adventurer, which I believe is another manga adaptation of another light novel. And uh, it says here that this will be starting on jnovel.club in just the next week or two. So this one, this one at least is coming soon. And then, uh, let's see, next up we have a super sweet isekai reincarnation manga about a genius who is a genius confectionery chef called Sweet Reincarnation. Our our main character has got a kingdom to save and hearts to heal, and he'll do it all with sweets. So <laughs> that sounds like a cute little series. I, I check it out. Mm-hmm. Looks like our next little announcement here from J Novel Club is Marginal Operation, in which the tweet says that this is uh, based off a light novel too, uh, but the manga stands on its own. Trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Very reassuring tweet from J Novel Club. I appreciate it. And it's apparently a story of a private military mercenary about war and death and tragedy, and 
in any case, it's good, real good. That's what the tweet says. I'm enjoying these tweets from J Novel Club so far. <laughs> and then it looks like their last announcement is Discommunication, in which the seminal work from Richie Ueshiba, who apparently is the author of Mysterious Girlfriend X, has ran uh, for years in Afternoon Magazine, and it's a mysterious tale of adolescent crushes, including very deep imagery. So, uh, so sort of vague on the premise there, but uh, just they, they posted a few like uh, the, like the uh, the cover for the manga and a panel or two from the series, and it definitely looks very striking. I already really like mm-hmm. the colors for uh, for the first cover there. From what I know of Mysterious Girlfriend X, it's very. Uh, it's a little surreal from what I hear. I haven't actually read it myself. So with that being said, this this looks to be about probably as surreal, maybe. Again, as somebody who hasn't read any of this author's works, I'm just making some very base uh, assumptions here. But yeah, no, I, some, some really interesting stuff coming from Jane Novel Club. I would definitely give Discommunication a check out. Uh, anything you want to add, Lum? They're definitely getting more interesting manga licenses these days. I'm very happy to see them pick up more stuff. Mm -hmm. And we're going to move on to a new digital license from Kodansha USA in particular, as they have started releasing uh, Hikaru Nakamura's Saint Young Men. And I'm sure people who are listening to this podcast are probably familiar with the series, maybe, because I know it did have an anime. I don't think it was licensed, though. Not that I... Not that I know of. But yeah, so Kadansha has uh, has picked this up for a digital release, and the first volume will be coming out on April 23rd. And, you know, if you can't wait until then, you can preview the manga on their website. And basically, if you don't already know what Saint Young Men is, it's basically a comedy manga about if Buddha and Jesus were basically roommates in a low-rent Tokyo apartment. So I think it's basically just that, just, just them hanging out, doing whatever. You know, I, I've I've seen this series around for years, and uh, I'm I'm glad it's finally being licensed because I've I've always wanted to check it out. Most definitely, I'm glad that Kodansha Comics USA is taking a chance on this one. I know that for a long time people thought that publishers would not touch it because it features religious figures, but as has been pointed out on several occasions. Pretty much any TV show made in the last 20 years has figured uh, sacrilegious depictions of popular religious figures. So why would anyone make a hubbub over a manga doing the same? And honestly, they, no one would because the manga's depiction of the friendship between Buddha and Jesus is very wholesome and charming. So I think that this is a great joy, a great boon for manga fans over here in the West, and I'm looking forward to reading this. Oh, definitely. But our very last uh, licensing announcement uh, comes from Viz Media, who did announce recently that they were basically bringing over the Persona 5 manga, which is basically an adaptation of the Persona 5 video game done by Hisato Murasaki. And the first volume of that will be coming in winter 2020, so... Basically, if you're a fan of, uh, if you're a Persona fan and you are definitely a fan of Persona 5, you, you might be wanting to check this out. Mm-hmm. I know that Annalisa and Marlene on Twitter are very excited to work on the series as they are big fans of Persona 5. So I think you can expect a localization labored with love and definitely check it out when it comes out if you are a big fan of the persona 5 series 
We might get drowned yet, but for now we're staying afloat and we can move on to the industry news. And so many of you manga fans out there might know that this year, the year of 2019, celebrates the 100th year of Yuri. And in celebration of that, the Toronto Comics Arts Festival is announced that it is hosting Hiromi Takashima, the artist of the Kasi-san and series. Takashima will attend the Toronto Comics Art Festival in support of the 100 Years of Yuri program run by Erica Friedman, host of Okazu, runs a very informative Yuri blog, the world's foremost Yuri expert. And Takashima is going to be interviewed by uh, Erica and there's going to be autograph sessions during the event. And I'm a big fan of the Kazi-san series. I love the film they made last year. One of my favorite films of last year. Just such a charming, beautifully made story about two girls in love. And going through the trials and tribulations of adulthood. And working through problems in their relationship. It's so nice. I really loved it a lot, and I'm really excited that they'll be uh, at Toronto Comics Arts Festival. If you're a fan of the Kassasson series and you're going to that uh, convention, definitely head on out and check out Erica's panel there and uh, Takashima's interview there, because that sounds like really cool. I wish I could go, but unfortunately plans will not work out, but I will announce on the show that we are going to be talking about Yuri. We are going to be celebrating the 100 years of Yuri anniversary because we are going to have Erica Friedman on the show next month to discuss Yuri, the history of the genre, and everything there is to love about it. So definitely stay tuned and look forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be a great conversation. Mm -hmm. Can't wait to learn about Yuri. Oh, yeah. You know, that's one exciting thing about the manga history going on is that it's the 100-year celebration of Yuri, but another thing to be excited about is that Japan's manga market has grown in 2018, almost by 2%. Specifically, it grew by 1.9%, according to the Old Japan Magazine of Book Publishers and Editors Association. Their February report estimated that physical and digital manga scales increased by 1.9% in 2018, totaling about 444.4 billion yen, compared to the 433 billion yen that it grossed in 2017. And even though physical sales dropped about 10% last year, digital sales had a 14.8% increase, almost a 15% increase. So, you know, that was pretty great that uh, digital sales have kind of made up for the drop in physical sales so the overall health of the manga market in japan has grown and the digital manga market is now accounting for 44.9 percent of the manga market overall in 2018 so it's becoming more and more a huge part of the industry no it's also worth pointing out that the estimated totals for the digital market do not include advertising revenue from free or paid apps but that is something to be excited about. Manga is in a great place right now. The industry is going strong. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to move on to some fun miscellaneous bits of news. 
Starting off with a popularity poll. The Black Clover popularity poll is up right now from this. You can look for all your favorite characters from the series. There's so many of them. Mm -hmm. I voted on this a couple weeks back. I forget who I voted for. I think it was Noelle. Noelle is my consistently favorite character. But I know that there's just so many great options to choose from, like Mary Leona or Zora or whomever is your favorite. So definitely vote in the poll. Before it closes. Mm -hmm. And for your favorite character. Yeah, we'll definitely leave a link to the poll in the show notes. I definitely voted for Mario Leona because, you know, why Why wouldn't you? Oh, it's shade at me here. <laughs> I don't know it from the aisle because Noelle has always been a consistently great character from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Man, I really hope Mario Leona is, like, in the top ten for this poll. If not, Japan doesn't deserve her. I gotta be honest. <laughs> But she was in the top ten in the last poll. Oh, was she? She will be. Yeah, she was. Oh, see. Okay, yeah. Shows shows you how much I remember. Hopefully her popularity remains consistent and she'll be in the top ten again. But I think there's a good chance for that. And that will be something to celebrate. But speaking of sellings to celebrate, uh, we can celebrate that Astro Lost in Space continues to get accolades all leading up to its anime coming out this summer. Because... Astro Lost in Space has won the Twelt Manga Taisho Awards, which is a great honor. And, you know, it follows along previous award winners that include the likes of Beastars and Golden Conway. Now Astra is among their ranks as a winner of the awards. And these awards is voted on by bookstore staffers who are in charge of their respective sources manga section. So this is the pick of bookstore owners across Japan, their choice for the best manga 2018. And that's something to be really happy about. Astro Lost in Space has gotten a lot of love, a lot of critical acclaim. I think the anime is going to be a big hit when it hits in the summer, and I am very happy to see I that. I cannot wait for Astra's anime to start so I can just start shoving Astra down all my friends' throats. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. That's going to be fun. That's right. Speaking of things that are going to be fun, if you love to draw manga, you can enter Jump Paint's Global Artistic Manga Award, which is running all the way until September 24, 2019. You have a couple months to get your work in. All you got to do is make a manga using the Jump Paint app, which is a free-to-download app that is made by Shueisha, and then you can basically just submit your manga for this award and basically the stipulations are is that the works uh you know have to be three pages or more you know they can be any format you want they just can't have already been published in the commercial magazine site or comic before and basically you have a lot of artistic freedom you can make either a love comedy or a battle manga but there's so much variety in those two genres that you can really just make whatever you want. So all you gotta do is draw a manga, tag it, submit it to the contest, and then it'll be judged, and you can win an award. And pretty much you don't have to worry about uh, your works being read in Japanese, because they'll just translate your works uh, after they're written in English, Korean, Chinese, and Spanish to the other languages. So that's really helpful. Uh, we'll link the page that will uh, give you a full rundown on all the other rules and stipulations and all that. But basically, uh, the grand prize winner will win 100 million yen. The semi-grand prize winner is going to be in 
300,000 yen. And successful candidates may even be published in Jump Plus, which would be a huge honor. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So definitely if you're uh, looking to draw your own manga and want to enter a contest, this sounds like a really cool contest to do so. And it doesn't even have to be a long work. Again, you can be as short as three pages. Mm-hmm. So definitely uh, check it out for you who want to be mangaka out there. And for all you aspiring artists out there who want another opportunity to submit your work and get seen, they are in luck because Wiz Media is doing portfolio reviews for their upcoming Viz Originals line at many local conventions this year, including Toronto Comics and Arts Festival from May 11th to 12th, Anime Central from May 17th to 19th, Anime Expo from July 4th to 7th, Comic Con from July 17th to 21st, New York Comic Con from October 3rd to 6th, and Anime NYC from November 15th to 17th. So, if you attend these conventions, you will be able to, if you sign up for them, attend portfolio review sessions, which will be led by executive editor Fan Lau, and... To qualify, you must be at least 18 years old. You must be a registered slash ticketed attendee of these inventions because a portfolio review appointment does not include the show evidence. And to be considered, you must complete an online application form at viz.com slash originals. And to give uh, an idea for this Viz Originals line, like to give the Viz staff an idea of your talents and strengths and the scope of your work, you need to provide a portfolio that demonstrates for artists samples of sequential works that best highlight your style and storytelling, your best works that showcase composition, character expressions, and scene details, finished pieces, not just sketch or concept work, and original character art pieces and some fan work is susceptible, but I think they definitely want to see more of your original stuff. As for writers, you need to show samples of sequential works that highlight your writing and story development abilities, and you need samples and lists of creative writing work. Prose and fan work is susceptible. And so Viz Originals looks to collaborate with talented independent artists, creators, writers who delve original stories that ignite imagination. And their focus is on dynamic paneling, skillful black and white artwork, and compelling diverse stories for both young adult and adult readers. So when comprising your portfolios, when putting everything together, definitely keep those attributes in mind. Think about what the audience wants, what they're looking for, and best of luck to all you. As for our last piece of uh, news here before we get on to the topic at hand, basically My Hero Academia has been confirmed to be getting another film this winter. It seems that with the success of uh, Two Heroes that, you know, the, the the overall success of the franchise, as it were, like, I'm, like, I'm not surprised that they want to get another film out there and going. There's not a lot of uh, info about this second movie yet as of this recording, but I think we, we talked about it on the show about how, like, you know, it was really fun seeing two heroes in theaters, and it, it was a really fun event, and I really enjoyed watching it in theaters, but if there is anything that they can improve on as far as, like, this next movie goes, I hope that, I guess really all, all I hope for personally is that maybe the story is a little more interesting in the second movie. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's, I almost feel bad saying, like, I hope they up the animation quality in the second movie when it's like, you know, we talked about on the show how, like, the animation in Two Heroes really isn't really any different than, like, the, the animation for, like, the actual TV anime. But, like, that's not to say that the animation for either is, like, bad. Like, it, they're both really high quality for what they are, though. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a conundrum. You know, I think that the movie will be fine either way i just hope that uh i do hope that they make a little more interesting of a story i hope that they lean into the kaiju direction that uh horikoshi's promotional image is for this film like as uh celebrating its announcement kind of leaned into like deku as matra and then the anime's version with uh bakugo as godzilla those are fun maybe they could make this film about kaiju that could be cool either that or like I can't believe I hadn't thought about this until just now. I would love to see them, like, do a film about about the sort of My Hero Academia, like, medieval Lord of the Rings-style, like, AU that, like, Horikoshi's drawn in some of the color pages for his manga and, like, you know, that they used inspiration for for that one ending for the show. Mm. I think that'd be kind of interesting, actually. Um, I don't know if they'll do it, but, like, I would watch that. That'd be an interesting direction to take it for, sure. Either way, I think that this film will be an even bigger hit than the first one, especially if Funimation uses the same strategy they did with Super Broly earlier in the year and uh, have the movie play as a full release in select areas and limited in other areas kind of to get the most money out of the market, I think we could see another anime film in the top five for the weekend uh, this year. In fact, perhaps it could even challenge Broly's place in the top five, or top three, rather. Who knows, uh, with a successful push and really strategy behind it. I'll be very curious to see that. I mean, if anything, I'd be surprised if they didn't give it more theaters than Two Heroes had, because obviously that was a huge success for them. Oh yeah, I think Two Heroes had way lower theaters than they should have put it in. I think they really underestimated how well it would do. And I think now they'll fix their mistake, and I hope they put it in over a thousand screens. Oh yeah. So, the new My Hero Academia film sounds like it's going to be plus ultra, but speaking of things that are plus, let's talk about the new Manga Plus series, starting with Heart Gear. Mm -hmm. This series comes to us by Suyoshi Tagaki, who is the creator of Black Torch, a Shonen Jump manga that you can read off the Shonen Jump app surface from Viz. It's a shorter series, but I have read what's available on Viz's site and quite enjoyed it. It's a fun story about like this demon cat creature and these demon hunters. And yeah, it's it's really nice. And Heart Gear though is a very different kind of story, though the same like action beats and elements are definitely of this author's nature and how they like to depict their action scenes. But the premise of the series is that it's set 200 years after World War III has wiped out most of humanity, leaving behind only a devastated world full of ruined civilizations. And we follow Lou, who is like a human girl, 
who's just, you know, an ordinary girl who's like very upbeat and chipper and full of life, even though they're living this post-apocalyptic wasteland and all they have to eat is apples. But, you know, she makes apple pie. She makes the most of it. And she lives with this droid called Zet, who's kind of like Baymax from Big Hero 6. He loves to gaze at the stars, but he loves living life with Lou even more. One day, while they're, like, exploring, like, an abandoned factory, Lou discovers Chrome, who is a fifth-generation experimental droid who... At first, kind of looks like a refrigerator with this eyeball-like camera and big mecha arms. And apparently, Crone is missing his base program, his raison d'etre, because a base program decides how a droid will live, the very existence themselves. So without it, he basically has no goal in life and, as that puts it, no soul. Mm -hmm. But he can convert biofuel, so at least he can eat apples. But anyways, throughout the first chapter, Chrome is kind of wondering, what is his reason for living? What does he live for? What does he love? And he slowly grows to admire the zest to which Lou lives her life and becomes very happy living life alongside her and Zet. But unfortunately, in this world, there exist renegade droids called insane units who have AI who haven't been maintained or repaired, and so they go berserk. And unfortunately, one day, a Korean droid comes and discovers Zet and Lou, and Zet is murdered while Lou escapes and tries to get Chrome, and, you know, as the insane unit is attacking them, Chrome kind of reflects on what he's living for, who he's living for, and he decides that his goal in life is going to be to protect Lou. And so he gets shot through the eye by the insane unit, but then he erupts from it as this bishy cyborg dude. <laughs> And he is all badass and dressed in a black costume. And he uh, fights back against the insane unit droid and destroys it. And then afterwards, Lou is all sad that, you know, Set is dead. And I love how they say the color page for that moment where Lou is just crying, mourning Set. But then Chrome thinks of an idea because the core unit of Zet has not been destroyed. So all his AI memory personality data, that's all been preserved. So now Lou and Chrome are going on an adventure to find a compatible body for Zet to restore him. And that is the premise of the series. So this was pretty good. At least I yes, thought. Yes, I thought. It had a good emotional core and very interesting characters. I am very disappointed that they changed Chrome's design to become this super stereotypically hot cyborg dude. I thought the refrigerator body was way more charming. But nevertheless, I think that it's a good premise. I think that the world is interesting. And I think that the action scenes, this author, this mangaka, is really good at depicting them. And there's some great panels in here. And the action really pops. Like, literally, they love to have action pop out of the panels. And it really makes everything look super striking. And, yeah, mechanical designs are also really good. And I think that they draw inspiration from very fun places. Like, I can't imagine that Zed wasn't inspired by part by Big Hero 6, but also the insane unit that murders him is definitely reminiscent of the soldier characters in Jinro, yeah, yeah. the Wolf Brigade. 
It looked exactly like the, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I think they draw inspiration from a really cool place to create this very cool post-apocalyptic world full of insane mechanical robots. So, yeah, well, I'm very curious to see uh, how the story will develop. No, yeah, I, I thought this entire chapter was... If this were an anime, this would be a really good, like, first episode. Like, if it feels like it sets up the what the rest of the series is going to be, like, really well. Like, now we have a goal, and now we have a reason to kind of, like, explore more of the world. And, yeah, I haven't read Black Torch, so this was my first time uh, reading anything from Takaki uh, in particular. So, you know, I, I had no expectations about, like, the art or anything. But, no, yeah, I, I, thought, I thought the action was really well drawn. Like you said, it really pops out of the page. I really love the the first two pages before Chrome is attacked and he's uh protecting Lou where like all the panels on the page are like they're all like in the shape of Chrome like um like mm -hmm. like Chrome it, like is basically like you know uh, th like trying trying to like process everything and is like trying to figure out like what he should do like trying to make a split second decision you know before this renegade droid attacks Lou and I, I love how the page is structured uh, in in the shape of Chrome's body, and how on the next page, like it all it all starts to kind of like come apart and discombobulate like all over the page until it leads up to him in yeah. that two page spread, you know, being broken apart through the center where his eye is. Like I really love the um, the structure and the layout of those pages in particular. I thought those were really striking. Oh yeah, that, that's a brilliant composition to depict the existential crisis Chrome is going through, and then kind of the breakdown of, like, the way he's thinking of himself, and then, you know, that'll leading up to him literally exploding out of his shell. Mm -hmm. It's really awesome. I haven't talked about it on, on the podcast at all because it just hasn't been super relevant, but uh, like in my spare time, I've been reading, uh, what is it, uh, Yokohama Shopping Log. Ever since I started reading that, I think I realized that I am I have a soft spot for stories about, like, just humans and robots just hanging out and developing relationships with each other. That's kind of a big part of that series. So I think I think I just like those kinds of stories in general. So it just in just in general, like I you know I really enjoyed uh, seeing Lou just hanging out with her robot friends. You know, it made for a it, it made for a nice section of of the chapter. Just them just kind of hanging out, doing whatever, having picnics and stuff until it was all taken away from her. And it made me very sad. And I was not expecting that color page of her crying because, man, that really broke my heart. Really nice colors on that page. Like, I could just look at that all day. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's safe to say that, like, I think this is going to be another thing we're both reading weekly, right? Well, bi-weekly bi -weekly, in yeah. this case, since this comes out every other Tuesday. But yes, I am definitely looking forward to keeping up with this series and seeing where the stories go, what the adventure of Lou and Chrome will lead to, and when they will find a nice compatible body for Zet, and what that'll look like, and also what other dangers they'll find in this world. Yeah, th this definitely like gets my recommendation. I I really enjoy the hell out of this. Most definitely. As well as our next series. That's right. Our next series was also equally enjoyable, but in different ways. It's more of a fun comedy, and that's Spy Family. Spy X Family, but I'm sure the X is silent, like in Hunter Hunter. But this series is by Tatsuya Endo. This comes out bi-weekly on Sundays. 
And it is about a spy who's a master of disguise called Twilight. His latest mission is to investigate a man named Donovan Desmond, who is the president of the National Unity Party, whose goals threaten the peace between the two countries of Westalis and Ostenia. But in order to investigate him, Twilight must be pretend to be married and have a kid, so he has an excuse to enroll his kid into Eden Academy, which is the same school as Desmond's child, and infiltrate the socials for the parents that are held there. And he has one week to do this. And this operation is called Operation Strix, so he takes on the alias of Lloyd Folger, psychiatrist. And so he goes to an orphanage to adopt an orphan, and he adopts Anya, who is a mind-reading orphan girl who is actually an escaped experiment. Uh, her experiment name is 007, so nice not the James Bond yep. there. But she was uh, created by a mysterious organization, and now she's been moving place to place Seeking shelter, and she happens to love Spy. She loves the anime Spy Wars, and sure, she mind reads Twilight's mind and f realizes that he's a spy, and she's like super into it. And she basically gets on his good side by passing all his tests to show that she's intelligent. And so she's super into this idea of being a spy. She asks him at one point for a gun with a silencer. He just nonchalantly says, yeah, if we have time. He doesn't even think twice about the fact that she asked for a gun, which is really funny. <laughs> but basically, you know, Twilight is uncomfortable around kids. He doesn't know how to take care of kids. And what makes things even more awkward between them is that Anya, as a mind reader, knows what Twilight is thinking. And she confused and so he thinks that you know maybe he's not up to raise this kid maybe he should return her to the orphanage or stuff like that but Anya eventually uh, kind of messes around one day with his spy equipment and kind of alerts some bad guys to the, their location and they come to kidnap her and of course Twilight has to rescue her and in the process we kind of learn more about why he was uncomfortable around kids and his Basically because, you know, when he was a kid, he was abandoned. He was basically caught up in this war-torn country. And, you know, he all he could do was basically cry. And, you know, he hated that feeling of helplessness he has. So, like, his goal in being a spy is to help create a world where kids won't have to cry. So it's actually very noble. And so he kind of has, like, this better understanding of himself as he goes through this fight in rescuing Anya. And then, even though he tells Anya to kind of leave and go to the police station and find, like, a new orphanage or a place, you know, for shelter, you know, she sticks around with him. She wants to still be in his family. And so, you know, he decides to, like, stick it out with her, too. The first chapter ends with this charming moment of them being so happy that Anya has passed the entrance exam for the school. But the first chapter also ends with them realizing, oh, no, we need both parents to attend the entrance interview. But we don't have the mother figure yet. So that's the second chapter that introduces the would-be mother of this makeup family, Yoru, who is supposedly an ordinary 27-year-old office lady who works as a clerk in Capital City, but she's actually a contract killer who's known as Torn Princess. And because she is, I guess, in her late 20s and signal, like all her co-workers are giving her shit for it, brother's giving her shit for it, and it's very annoying, and she kind of just is trying to troll her brother off and, like, get him to back up by saying, oh no, I have a boyfriend, but then her rudder wants proof, and then she's like, gosh, shit, I have to go to this party now and bring my made-up boyfriend. What am I gonna do? And meanwhile, Twilight is, of course, looking for someone to be his... 
any female spies to do the job because a lot of them have been captured and stuff. So he's just looking around for potential people he can pick up. By chance, they encounter each other one day and they kind of, you know, think, oh, this guy might fit the bill, but like, I kind of thrown off and think that, oh no, maybe they won't work out. But Anya, using her mind reading, learns that Yoru's a spy and think it'd be super cool if Twilight and Yoru became a fake couple. And so she tricks them into like getting together while both remain oblivious of the other's real profession. And so, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, they make plans for Twilight to pretend to be Yoru's fake boyfriend at the party she has to attend, but Twilight has to do this mission that makes him late. So he shows up to the party a lot later, covered in blood splatter and stuff. But Yoru is just happy that he showed up at all, and he says some nice things that shows that he's not very judgmental of her, and seems like a pretty nice, cool guy. And so she kind of starts to like him after that. And then later, when they're driving home, you know, bad guys attack them, and then Yoru kind of helps out in fighting off the bad guys. But, you know, they still remain oblivious to the their each other's real professions. You know, they just, they really think that uh they are who they say are. Like, Yoru really thinks that Twilight's uh, some kind of psychiatrist, and this is some crazy therapy that uh he's doing. You know, it's really funny. But eventually, you know, they both start to like each other. So, you know, Yoru kind of agrees to actually get married to Twilight because it is good cover for her work as a hitman. And so they basically uh, form this marriage uh, under, like, false pretenses. And then while they are uh, being bombarded by bombs, uh, Twilight proposes to her, and it's until mission slash murder do they part. And it's all very hilarious and wacky and crazy. And I love it a lot. I like the, all the characters in this series. They're all really fun and likable. The comedy is really great. And the way they sell community expressions in this is so darn good. Especially with Anya. She just has the most adorable expressions. Oh, man. Like... Uh, reacting uh, to crazy I things. don't... I don't know. I, I don't. I don't want to overhype it, but like this might be my favorite first chapter like this year so far. It's really good. Like, oh, it I don't is know. J- just like with Heart Gear, like this sets itself up like so well. Keep in mind, I. It's weird. I. I only got to read the first chapter. I don't think I even noticed that a second chapter was out for some reason. I don't know how that happened. So I apologize for that. But as far as the first chapter goes, like mm. it's again, if this were a first episode of a show, like this would be amazing. Like I'm already like super interested in it because it's it's a spy series, and you know I I consider myself like somewhat into spy stuff, like enough to where. You know, I'm up for spy stories. You know, they're usually kind of cool. And truthfully speaking, like, I had already heard our good friend Bomber talk about this series a little bit. I guess he's a little more familiar with Tatsuya Endo's work. Because I guess he's read he's read some of his stuff before. And so he was he was really excited for this to come out. So, you know, that that's, that's what originally kind of piqued my interest. Because I, obviously, I don't know anything about his work. So see, seeing Bomber get excited for a new series kind of got me excited, honestly. But uh, I wasn't expecting to, like, love this so much. Like, what's great is that, like, you know, it, it's already, like, a really funny series. But 
I'm already like super genuinely invested in in the relationship between uh, both Twilight and Anya. You know, it, it already it, it would have been enough if like this was just a really cool spy series or whatever, just following like this really badass spy character. But then you got to add this little cute little Esper girl, and you got to break my heart by you know having her be this you know experiment for <laughs> test subject for different experiments that's you know obviously she didn't get to live as a kid now she finally has a, she has a chance for a good home and i love how like it relates back to twilight's you know reason for being a spy uh so naturally like it, it really kind of like i think it really strengthens their relationship because like you know he can relate to Anya's powerlessness and in that way like obviously he sees a little bit of himself like in her mm -hmm. I don't know I just I just I love their relationship so much already and I'm already super invested and it's the the very ending of of the chapter where like Anya like kind of like snuggles up with with Twilight on the couch and they fall asleep together like I thought that was like the cutest thing I've ever seen it is so adorable but yeah again Really compelling characters that are super likable, that you are easy to get behind. What really works about the series is that it's full of humor. Like, every element of this story, it never delves too dark. It's always focused on the humorous aspect of it, the fun aspects of it. And that's what makes it so enjoyable. It's a nice, heartwarming read yeah, about these characters. I guess that's another to thing, family. too. I'm, I'm a real sucker for, like, stories about about a parent figure and their and their child like you know i love stories like uh sweetness and lightning and uh and bunny drop the pre-bat stuff bunny drop i should say the pre-creepy stuff you know that goes without saying but uh <laughs> yeah it's just uh, i i've come to really love stories like that so like that's already another element that i'm like super invested in the action's really good too like i think my favorite like moment in particular is where like twilight comes home to his apartment and you know because anya accidentally sent out a signal through his like spy telecom gear or whatever that uh n now they know where he is and they try to ambush him mm -hmm. but obviously he he has the upper hand and just beats the shit out of all of them I, I love the moment in particular where like he throws a can at this guy and like just takes a chair to his head like that moment in particular is so well drawn and i love the way like i love the way that <laughs> his assailant is like stretched out like like the way it's drawn you could tell like you feel that impact like my head hurts just looking at that like it's amazing yeah there's some really sharp art in the series and the oh the yeah timing of the action comedic beats are great just throughout like one of my favorite moments in the second chapter is when yoru's bitchy co-worker is jealous of the fact that Twilight is kind of handsome and cool so she tries to like spill hot gratin all over her like an entire plate of like just this hot food over her and burn her and Yoru just like picks it up with her feet like literally she like kicks the tray uh -huh. and lifts it up with her feet and catches it that way and to make things even better is like a drop of the gratin falls on the bitchy co-worker's face so she gets burned instead it's really funny it's like the comedic timing of that entire sequence is just so good with each beat of it it just moves really fast and really satisfyingly with each pose and each panel and it is like comedy in this and the the way 
action is communicated is just so satisfying. But yeah, no, I, I just like that I'm able to read a series with cool action comedy elements mixed with a really genuinely heartwarming, like, you know, father and daughter relationship almost. Like, the, the, those those elements combined, I think, really make something great with Spy Family, and I'm definitely going to be reading more of this. And I think a lot of people uh, share our sentiments and are equally excited for this because this series is apparently a big hit already. The first chapter, according to our good friend Bomber, has over 2,700 comics and over 10,000 likes. Chapter 2 has over 2,000 comments Mm. and over 7,000 likes, and this is on uh, Jump Plus mind you, but even on Manga Plus it's doing very well in the statistics, so you know, I think this is a big hit right out of the gate, I think a lot of people are looking forward to reading more of this, I look forward to reading more of this, and yeah I think this could be a really great series to follow, and I can't wait to read more of it mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really good pups this time around, like, it, it's been a while where, like, where I have legitimately, like, enjoyed you know, whenever we talk about, like, groups of pups, like, with the jump starts in past episodes and everything like it's it's been a while where like we talk about a group of cyber pubs that like that i love like all of like i i think this is the strongest group of cyber pubs we've talked about on the show in a while i would agree i think both of these seem like they could have a lot of longevity to them because they have really strong chapters they seem to have their premise down they have their emotional core down they've got heart there's just a lot to love in them and i think that they could be quite successful. And I'm really looking forward to reading more of these, for sure. Mm -hmm. This was a great batch of new simulpubs that I think that any manga fan should definitely check out. Uh, I think these are really appealing and enjoyable stories. Oh, yeah. Uh, we'll definitely be leaving links to these these on Manga Plus in the uh, the show notes, because... uh... You know, in case you don't know, you know, if you haven't been listening to the show or you live in a, live under a rock, you can literally read these for free. Yeah. You don't, you don't got to pay or nothing. These are just available, not not just for us in North America, but everywhere. Like, people around the world can read this. So, uh, no matter what country you live in, unless you live in, I think, Japan or China or something, like, you know, you have access to this. So, definitely go check it out. Yeah. But I think it's time for community shoutouts. That's right, we're going to wrap the show up with some community shoutouts. And uh, would you like to go first, Colton? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, uh, my community shout-out, finally, I apologize because I haven't had one for a couple episodes, but lately I have been just, I've mentioned, I, think, I feel like I've mentioned on the podcast before that, like, you know, lately at work I've had time to kind of catch up on different podcasts that I've been kind of slacking on over the past year or so. You know, once I caught up with stuff like, you know, My Brother, My Brother and Me, I started catching up on One Panel Later, which is a podcast about two librarians who basically you know one of them is in the manga and one of them is into american comics and they so they both come from different fandoms and they basically come together to talk about different issues between both industries and whatnot because obviously you know american comics has its foibles let's call them and you know the manga industry isn't without some of its issues as well and they basically come together to talk about certain issues and whatnot like diversity in comics and uh and whatnot and just uh, different like genres of comics and and whatnot A, a lot of really interesting topics of discussion as far as comics and manga go and uh yeah i try to think i think i found this podcast last year or so and, and you know i i had been kind of listening to it on and off but uh, i'd been listening to a lot of its 
you know, backlog lately. So, yeah, and I've been really enjoying it. Uh, every episode is, you know, short and sweet and to the point. And I think uh, Angela and Kelly are their names. I think talk about their topics very well. If I had, like, any kind of, like, nitpick, I think it would be that, like, because, uh, and I've also seen this in, like, their iTunes reviews as well, where it's like, you know, some some people feel like they're kind of, like, too, they're, they're too, like, quippy with each other, where it's like, oh, my thing is better than your thing or whatever. But also... That's the fun of it. What well, the heck? Also, like, on the same token, I know that, like, obviously they're both very good friends and, like, you know, they could talk shit about what the other really likes in general. Like, I, I, I have yeah. that, I have those kinds of conversations with, like, my close friends all the time. So it's, like, it's weird because, like, I can kind of see how that would get a little grating to listen to. But at the same time, like, I understand where they're coming from on that front. Like, they're good friends. Like, good friends do that kind of thing to each other. So, you know. Mm-hmm. But overall, like, I really recommend listening to the show if it, like, as somebody who is a huge manga fan and has only, like, dabbled in, like, Western comics, like, here and there, like, you know, I've I've never felt lost, like, listening to the show. If anything, like, I, I, I feel like I learn a lot about American comics, comics that aren't just superhero comics. Like, I, th- I feel like I learn about the industry from somebody who has been in that fandom for a long time, long enough to know mm-hmm. what they're talking about. So I find Angela's perspective on, on American comics and and especially manga, really interesting. So definitely go check it out. We'll leave a link for uh, their website in the show notes for anybody who wants to give it a listen, because I definitely mm-hmm. give it my recommendation. Yeah, One Panel Later is one of my favorite podcasts as well. I've been following them since they started up almost two years ago at this point. And listeners of the podcast may remember I recommended their BL episode a couple of podcasts back in... I guess the fall of last year. That was a great episode about BL manga, so I definitely recommend that episode. But I really enjoyed their discussions on comics and manga and comparing how each of those types of comics tackle different genre conventions or different stories for different demographics. It's always interesting to listen to and hear them talk about. I'm sad the show is currently on hiatus for a little while because Kelly is pregnant and think the show will be on hiatus until both hosts' lives are a little more organized again, it seems. But I'm looking forward to when they come back, and I do encourage you to check out their uh, backlog of podcasts uh, until then, because they've got around 30-ish episodes worth of great podcasts for you guys to listen to. And they're all super fun and informative. Mm-hmm. But speaking of great podcasts, uh, I want to recommend a new podcast that just started up last month. Fans of uh, Fruit Basket are going to be specifically really, really into this. Because this is a new Fruit Basket podcast called Let's Stay Together who is hosted by two hosts that, you know, are just big fans of the series, and they're reading through the entire manga from the beginning, two chapters an episode, through the Tokyo Pop release, so they also comment on changes between editing and press release sometimes. But, yeah, I think this is a really great podcast by two hosts that are really knowledgeable about Fruits Best, who have deep love for the series, are really going back with the context of having read the full series and knowing where it goes, and really analyzing it from the beginning to see where all the seeds are being planted, and how characters are being depicted and developed, and they have great conversations about the manga that really get to the heart of it, and get to what Takia is trying to 
convey with her themes and her storytelling. And there aren't a whole lot of podcasts that are dedicated specifically to discussing a single shoujo manga, which I think is a real shame, because we have all these podcasts dedicated to every shonen series out there, but there are so few dedicated to discussing like a shoujo series in depth outside of Sailor Moon. So mm. I think this is a really great endeavor. I really, really enjoying listening to them talk about the series. I'm going through the manga for the first time. Even you know, I've loved the old anime, but I've never really read the entirety of the manga. So I've been following along as they've been uh, going through it. And currently, they've got six episodes out. They basically just wrapped up the second volume, so that's about a third of the way in for uh, the first anime uh, in terms of what that adapted, and so that gives you a sense of uh, how far into the story they've kind of come. Though, of course, you know, this is a 23-volume story, so they still have plenty to go. But they're also, I think, going to comment on the anime as it comes out uh, as well, the new series, so that'll be a lot of fun to look forward to, but yeah, I definitely recommend this podcast for Fruits Basket fans out there, and even if you haven't got it into Fruits Basket, I definitely recommend you check it out, because I think that their conversation will make you intrigued to check out the series, which is a classic series, a great series for a reason. I'm happy to have the new anime out, and I'm happy that the fandom is having a resurgence, and we're getting Fruits Basket podcasts and just more people talking about it. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a good time. I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to check it out. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I also want to give a shout out to something Relord wrote recently for ToonamiFaithful.com. Uh, he did a piece on The Promised Neverland and why it's such an interesting series to add to the Toonami lineup and what makes it special. I think he wrote it really well, so I just wanted to give that a little shout out as well. So definitely check that out over on Tanami Faithful. And I, he has more projects planned with Tanami Faithful coming in the future that I'm very excited to hear and look forward to. So definitely keep your eyes out and ears out for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Um, I saw that recently, and uh, I was I was pretty proud of him. That's a uh, that's a really cool thing that came out. I'll I'll have to check that out. Mm-hmm. But that does it for this episode of Manga Mavericks, talking about heart gear and spy family and news and community shoutouts. And I think we had a great time. Oh, wow. But I guess, uh, yeah, we'll start wrapping up here. And uh, before we do, I mentioned on the last episode, but unfortunately, uh, last episode, we just we didn't have enough time to get into all the we never learned questions that we got. So <laughs> expect that to be the next episode coming out, hopefully the week after uh, you're listening to this episode. So, yeah. Uh, we've got a whole whole lot of We Never Learn discussion coming your way. Uh, so much more that we didn't even touch on in the first episode. So if you cannot get enough We Never Learn, this is the month for you. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that should be out about a week after this episode. And then uh, we got some more. Out the week. We, 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 have, we have some other stuff planned, but uh, I think we'll, uh, we'll, we'll save that for when the time comes. Uh, we definitely have some stuff that we're going to be talking about on the show at some point here in the near future. Uh, but for now, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, this was a lot. This was a pretty good episode, I think. And uh, yeah, I guess now we can start wrapping up. So Lum, where can the good people find you? 
You can find me at Lumramiyasha over on Twitter and as Lumramiyasha on a variety of places including Animation, Revelation, and Annulus. Wherever there's a Lumramiyasha, that's where you can find me. I write reviews for all-comma.com, movie reviews, manga reviews, so you can check out my stuff on there. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I've got a new podcast out for you that's very befitting of my name, the Hashtag Lum Squad Podcast, which is all about what else, Lum, and the series where she is from, Yurisi Yatsura. It's a new monthly podcast, and I'm doing with AC over on Twitter, the fodder of the daily Lum, and the Lum Squad hashtags. We're collabing. We're doing this new monthly podcast in Yurisi Yatsura. We're going to discuss the manga, the anime, the fandom, everything Yurisi Yatsura related. We're going to share our love of Lum with the world, so definitely check that out. Out, you should be able to check out the first episode in the Manga Aries podcast feed. The podcast will also get its own feed that you'll be able to check out. And, of course, the podcast will be on all-comic.com for you to check out there. We've got Twitter handles. we got Tumblr handles. You can find us by searching for Lum Squad or at Lum underscore squad on Twitter or LumSquad.tumblr.com. We got an email, LumSquadPod at gmail.com. We got plenty of places for you to find us and contact us, so definitely check us out. I'm really excited to get this rolling, and I cannot wait to just talk about Yurisi Yatsu and gush about it for a few hours every month. All right, yeah. Uh, de- we'll definitely put a link for that in the show notes. I can't wait to uh, to listen to that. That's ought to be fun. Yep. Though, uh, don't worry, folks. We are going to do a Yurtsi Yatsura episode on Manga Merit itself in the summer, so look forward to that. We have not forgotten that uh, it was the highest rated request among the Shonen Sunday series in our poll, so we will definitely cover it on this show. But now, you don't have to wait for that, because you can also listen to the Yurtsi Yatsura podcast that I'm making every month. So, uh, you'll have plenty to look forward. Uh, yeah, we still have to do that, don't we? We'll get to it. But anyway, so yeah, go follow all alum stuff, definitely. As for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host a few podcasts as well, such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, though it's on a bit of a hiatus. We still have a huge backlog of episodes that you can listen to over at GintalifeLessons.wordpress.com. So if you're a fan of Gintama in particular, go check that out. Uh, or if you're a fan of Detective Conan, Case Closed, whatever people call it, you definitely want to go check out One Podcast Prevails at OnePodcastPrevails.com. It's a show that I host with my friend Doctor over from the Ass Backwards Anime Podcast. I really enjoy recording that show in particular, so if you're a fan of Conan, please go check it out. But as for all comic and manga mavericks, you want to go to all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode of Manga Mavericks first. You can also follow us on Facebook.com slash all.comic or on Twitter.com slash all-comic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks in particular, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast you can also subscribe to our youtube channel over at youtube.com slash mangamavericks it's where we post different excerpts of the podcast including whatever news pieces we cover uh whatever manga we talk about on the show and uh even some exclusive content every once in a while uh so go follow that mm-hmm. again that's at youtube.com slash mangamavericks recently we surpassed 300 subscribers so that's cause to celebrate for sure 
So definitely check us out on there. Oh, wow. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you have anything you want to email us about, uh, what do you think about the uh, Cyberpods we talked about in today's episode? Uh, do you have any thoughts on the news? I don't know. Uh, what, what do you think about whatever manga we're reading? I don't know. Urusei Yatsura. If you have any Urusei Yatsura thoughts you want to send, maybe we could read on the show for that episode. I don't know. Uh, r- really, just email us anything about whatever manga you're reading, whatever thoughts you have on the podcast. You can send those emails over at mangamavericks at gmail.com. And we will read them on the show. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever they call it. Uh, it really helps the visibility of our show and really just helps us grow in general. Uh, so if you have the time to do that, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, but that is going to be about it for this episode. Again, we will see you guys on the next episode. But for now, this has been episode 84 of the podcast. And we will see you guys next time on episode 85. Bye, guys. Sayonara! Sayonara!